0: What are some key differences between Christianity and Islam, between Muhammad and Jesus? This is Evidence & Answers with your host, Pat Zuckerman. Today, Pat is before a live audience discussing the differences between Islam and Christianity. While you're listening, go to evidenceandanswers.org and you can get many great resources on this topic, including this program itself. Here's Pat Zuckerman.
1: Jesus knows His sheep intimately and cares for their daily needs and protects them and guides them every single day. And that kind of intimate relationship is not seen in the Quran. In the New Testament, the prodigal son, God is pictured as the father there awaiting the return of his lost son. And when he sees his son coming home after years of being away, the father is the one that runs down the path and greets his son and hugs and kisses his son. Gives him new clothes and restores him. And that kind of imagery is not found in the Quran. Uh, for Muslims, they have a very distant relationship with Allah. Not a personal, intimate relationship as we Christians have. Salvation. And the Bible teaches that salvation is built on God's grace. Ephesians 2.89 For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and not by any good works which man can boast. In order for us to have everlasting life, there's nothing that we can do to attain eternal life. There's nothing we can do. God did it all. He provided what was needed, uh, the perfect sacrifice of His Son for our sins. All that we are invited to do is to receive the gift of grace that God has given us. And that doesn't exist in Islam. Okay? In Islam, uh, the The doctrine of man states that man is basically good, and through his self-effort, through obedience and the discipline which is taught in the Quran, uh, he hopefully, on Judgment Day, will enter into paradise. There are two angels that follow you throughout your lifetime. One records your good deeds, one records your bad deeds. And on Judgment Day, the books are open, and your works are weighed. And depending on the mercy of Allah, men may be allowed into paradise but it's built upon works whereas as the Bible teaches our salvation is built upon grace therefore following that doctrine Christianity offers an assurance of salvation we all know that we've sinned we fall way short of the glory of God there's no way we can attain eternal life well then how are we so sure that we have eternal life well someone Paid the price for our sins. Our sins past, present, and sins to come, future, have been paid for fully by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There is no sacrifice given for the shortfall in Islam. There is no Muslim man or woman who's lived perfectly, who's lived out perfectly the Islamic law. What then is there to make up for that shortcoming? There is no sacrifice there. What's it based on that? Well, the good works. Hopefully your good works outweigh your bad works. But for the Muslim, there's no assurance hey, that any man will make it into paradise. Even Muhammad himself did not know what his eternal fate would be. In the Hadith, the sayings of Muhammad, it says, By Allah, though I am the apostle of Allah, yet I do not know what Allah will do to me. So even Muhammad did not have assurance of salvation. I remember when I was speaking at the University of Texas, there was a Muslim in the audience, and he said, no, you are totally wrong. Islam is a religion of grace, just as Christianity is. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, on Judgment Day, we stand before Allah, and if He extends His grace to us, then we will enter into paradise. But it's all on Allah's grace. There's nothing we can do. We can't do enough works to enter into paradise. It's all on Allah's grace. And I said, "All right. how do you know? He will extend His grace to you. And he kind of got quiet. And I said, on a scale of 1 to 100, I asked the old uh, evangelism explosion question. On a scale of 1 to 100, if you're a Diagonite, how sure you are you that you'll enter into paradise? You know, and he was totally quiet. And I said, you have no assurance. And I said, you're mixing up mercy and grace. And you've got those two mixed up. Christianity, we can be 100% sure because it's built on grace we can be 100% sure, not because of anything we've done. We know we've all fallen short, but God has provided the perfect sacrifice. And because of Jesus Christ, uh, we can have assurance of everlasting life because the perfect sacrifice has been paid on our behalf. Okay, you guys don't have that, so it all depends on you. Hopefully your good works out your bad works. Then we have the understanding of human nature. Okay, the Bible teaches the man is sinful by nature, Romans 3.23. Right? We've, All sin and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, every person needs a Savior to pay the price for his shortcomings, to pay the price for his sins. Islam does not teach that man is sinful by nature, but that man is good. But man is weak and needs the discipline that's taught in the Quran and in the Islamic law to attain paradise. So it is for this reason Muslims do not require a sacrifice for sin. That's one of the reasons they reject the death of Christ on the cross as payment and atonement for our sins. That's one of the reasons they reject that. Also, another reason, it is disgraceful for Allah's apostle to be treated, or Allah's prophet to be treated as Christ was treated, to go through that kind of shameful death. Allah would not allow that. So, there are some key distinctions there that you've got to understand as you are sharing Christ with Muslims. Here's some points to raise. After you get, hopefully you get to know Muslims, you develop a friendship with them, you begin a dialogue with them, and you can begin to raise some of these points. Right? Now, if you're like, uh, Kirby, uh, or, or on, on my show, and, I mean, you get called, you know, a Muslim calls you and he challenges you right there and you gotta give some kind of answer, or you're on the airplane, you know, okay, you can present these right away. But, for, You know, the majority of us, if we have Muslims next door or at work, it's best to develop a friendship with them first and then begin to dialogue and begin to raise some of these points. Three points that I found uh, of significance that are very effective is comparing Jesus and Muhammad. Then also being able to show that the Bible has not been corrupted. And since it has not been corrupted, number three, how to read the Bible. In fact, Muhammad commanded Muslims to read the Bible. Let me show you some of the best ways to do this. First of all, a comparison of Jesus and Muhammad in the Quran. And you don't have to use the Bible. This is what is taught in the Quran. The Quran acknowledges that Jesus is born of a virgin. In Surah 19, Surah 66. They affirm the virgin birth of Christ. Muhammad was not born of a virgin. But Christ, they acknowledge, was. They acknowledge that Christ was sinless. In Surah 19. But Muhammad, in the Quran, is not sinless. Several times throughout the Quran, he is commanded by Allah to confess his sin, or to repent and turn from his sin. But of Christ, he is sinless. Muhammad does no miracles. And one of the interesting things in the Quran is that a prophet of God is recognized by his miracles. But Muhammad does not do any. But the Quran acknowledges that Christ does miracles. And several other Old Testament prophets. Several translations of the Quran, one by Aubrey, calls Christ the Messiah. And I've talked to some Arabic scholars and they say, yeah, that's, that would be the literal translation. Ali uh, retranslates that differently. He calls Jesus the Apostle of Allah. Either way, the Quran acknowledges the prophetic call of Jesus. Jesus is called the Word of God in Chapter Four of the Quran, and Muhammad, Muslims will acknowledge, he died and he is buried in Medina. In the Quran, Christ doesn't die; he ascends unto heaven. Right. So you take a look at that in the Quran, and you compare these two guys side by side. Even in the Quran, Jesus is greater than Muhammad. And you just point that out to him. Say, so even in the Quran, even in your Quran, Jesus is greater than Muhammad. Don't you want to study about Jesus? The Bible spends an extended time on the life of Christ. Don't you want to study about Jesus Christ? Because even in the Quran, Christ is greater than Muhammad. And you do a further comparison. Once again, uh, Muhammad does no miracles. In fact, he's asked in the Quran, show us a sign, show us a sign that we may know that ye are the prophet of Allah. And he refuses to do any. He simply says, look at the Quran. That's all He does. In the Quran, uh, it acknowledges that Christ did miracles, but also, from the historical text of the Gospels, Christ performed miracles over every realm of creation, demonstrating His authority as the Divine Son of God over every area of creation, over sickness, sin, disease, over nature, even over death. Muhammad, if you study his life, but you also read the Quran, hey, Muhammad like all of us, was a sinner. He told to confess his sins and turn from his sin in the Quran. Christ was sinless. Even the enemies of Christ could not point out any sin in his life. Even his closest followers said that he had no sin. Christ, who taught all men to confess and repent of sin, he himself had no need to confess and turn from his own sin because he was sinless. No prophecies are foretold of Muhammad. They try to make some, And if we have time, we'll go over some. They try to show that there are some prophecies that predict the coming of Muhammad, but there are not any. Christ, there are over 170 prophecies made of him in the Old Testament, which he fulfilled. There's no one, not Muhammad, nor anyone in the history of mankind that has the kind of prophetic record as Jesus Christ. Muhammad taught to use the sword. He was a warrior, as Kirby pointed out. Christ, on the other hand, died for sinners. Muhammad retaliated against his enemies. Christ said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. Christ forgave his enemies and taught us to forgive our enemies as well. Muhammad was overcome by death. Christ, we know, overcame death. So there's some very significant differences here. And that's an effective thing to point out when you're sharing with a Muslim, and we always want to do it, you know, with gentleness and respect. Now, one of the things they'll say, and one of the challenges they immediately bring up, is that, well, the Bible has been corrupted. The Bible has been corrupted. When I speak to Muslims, and I point out these differences, often, one of the first things they'll say is, well, the Bible has been corrupted, and it is untrustworthy. Well, well, Here's uh, how we can respond when they bring that point up. In the Quran, Muhammad commanded his people to read the Bible. Surah chapter 10. If you were in doubt as to what we have revealed unto you, then ask those who have been reading uh, the good book uh, from before you. The truth has indeed come to you from your Lord's. So be in no wise of those who doubt. Surah chapter 5. Say... O people of the book, ye have no ground to stand upon unless ye stand fast by the law, the gospels, and all the revelation that has come to you from your Lord. So Muhammad commanded his people to read the Bible. In fact, he said his teachings you'll find to be consistent with what is revealed in the Bible. So Muhammad encouraged his people to read the Bible. In other words, Muhammad believed that the Bible he had there in 630 A.D. was indeed accurate. That's why he was encouraging, commanding his people to read the Bible. Now, whenever Muslims throw up the challenge that the Bible has been corrupted, the burden really is on their foot, and not on ours. Because we've got so much evidence that confirms our Bible has been accurately preserved to the original text. But once you show that Muhammad commanded his people to read the Bible, Muhammad believed that he had an accurate Bible there in 630 AD. Well, we have texts uh, and translations of the Bible that predate 630 A.D., that well predate 630 A.D. We've got uh, manuscripts and translations and versions that predate 630 A.D. So, uh, in 630 A.D., Muhammad believed he had an accurate Bible. We've got versions and manuscripts that predate that by centuries. Therefore, you can build a very good case that our Bible today has been accurately preserved. For example, the New Testament They've got over 5,000 ancient Greek manuscripts, some going back to the early 2nd century. Thousands of papyrus and parchment fragments. We've got versions and translations. Quotes from the church fathers. All in all, we've got 24,000 manuscripts from which to compare. And one of the things that you'll find as you look as... You talk to scholars who have studied these thousands and thousands of manuscripts. Okay, you can't point to, you can't produce any manuscripts that show any significant errors or changes in the New Testament text. And uh, when I was speaking with a Muslim there at Austin, there in our seminar, so one of the things he said, he said the Bible has been corrupted. You know, one of the things we pointed out is that the Bible and the Quran cannot be. Um, True at the same time. The Bible teaches clearly Jesus is the divine Son of God. The Quran rejects that. The Bible teaches that Christ rose from the dead. The Quran rejects that. The Bible teaches that Christ is born in Bethlehem. The Quran teaches he is born under a palm tree. And I said, they both can't be right at the same time. And he acknowledged that and he said, well, the Bible has been corrupted. And I said, the burden's on you, not on me. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, we got 24,000 manuscripts for you to look at. Produce for me. Okay? And it's just the same thing with liberals and Mormons who accuse the Bible of being corrupt, produce the manuscripts. You should be able to. You got 24,000 manuscripts to look at. You know, trace for me the line of corruption. You should be able to. You got thousands of manuscripts, more than any other ancient document of its time. And at that, you know, he was silent. For the first time in the whole seminar, you know, he was silent. But they are unable to produce the manuscripts. Those who would accuse the Bible of being corrupted are unable to produce the corrupted manuscripts. Then we have manuscripts that date uh, very early, early second century. Hmm? For example, uh, the Rylands fragment here, which was found in Egypt, dates about 130 AD, which is a fragment from the Gospel of John. Uh, from these fragments, we can easily conclude: Papyrus 67, a fragment of Matthew, 125 AD; Papyrus 64, a portion of Matthew, 125 AD. You know, we can conclude the originals are written decades earlier, well within. Uh, so we've got good evidence that the New Testament is written in the first century. we got quotes from the Church Fathers. Clement, as early as 90 A.D., now the Church Fathers of the first 300 years quote every verse of the New Testament except for 11. So even if we didn't have the manuscripts, we just went with the co- quotes from the Church Fathers. we got all the verses of the Bible except for 11. Then we've got early versions that predate 630 A.D., Codex Vaticanus, uh, 325 A.D., the Chester Beatty Papyri, which contains many books of the New Testament, 250 A.D., the Bodmer Papyri, containing the book of John and several other of Paul's letters, 200 A.D., the Latin Vulgate, the Latin translation of the entire Bible by Jerome, was done in 384 A.D., the Syriac translation of the Bible, the Peshitta, done as early as 150 to 250 AD, the Coptic or the Egyptian translation done in the 4th century AD. There's just too much overwhelming evidence to show you that uh, if the Bible is accurate in 630 AD, we've got versions and manuscripts that predate that by several centuries. It's been a well-preserved document. It's been accurately preserved and transmitted uh, throughout the centuries. It is difficult to say it has been corrupted to the point that it is untrustworthy. All the evidence shows, we've got a very accurate transmission of the Bible here. And once you state that, you say, well, Muhammad ordered his people to read the Bible. Why not read the Bible? Why not learn about this prophet, Jesus Christ? Is he indeed the divine Son of God? And invite them uh, to a Bible study, Another uh, thing that you can look at is the Quran. Okay, comparing the Quran with the Bible. Okay, now, brief history of the Quran. Muhammad did not write, but gave his revelations orally, and they were received and written by his followers over a 23-year period. After his death, numerous versions existed. I mean, uh, Islamic historic scholars readily acknowledge that there are many versions out there, some that contradicted others. Okay. The third caliph. Uthman is the one who made his version, the authoritative version, and any other version or manuscript that was out there that contradicted his, okay, he had them burned, or those who had them memorized, he had them killed. So we don't have the manuscripts that go back to Muhammad's original revelations, <coughs> because any that disagreed with Uthman's, he had them burned or destroyed. Okay. The Quran is considered eternal and uncreated. It is the book that came down out of heaven. The Quran is without error. The Quran does not reveal Allah, but Allah's will. And the Quran is the ultimate miracle. When the people ask Muhammad, show us a sign, show us a sign that you are the prophet of Allah, he refused to show any sign. All he said was, look at the Quran. It is considered the ultimate miracle in Islam. Now, Remember, you need to do this carefully after you build a relationship with them and you want to share with them uh, some things in the Quran that you may want to point out. And do this carefully with gentleness and with respect. This is the perfect book that came out of heaven. Yet, you can look and say, you know, I've studied the Quran, and several things stick out to me here. There appear to be errors. Tell me what you think. And I've pointed this out to several Muslims. In uh, Surah 20, it states that the Samaritans tricked the Israelites during the time of the Exodus. And when did the Samaritans exist? About a thousand years later. All right? Alexander was a Muslim who worshipped Allah. Right? Surah chapter 18. Pharaoh threatened to crucify his magicians okay, on a cross. But crucifixion didn't exist back then during the time of Moses. It comes much later with the Persians and then the Romans... What's the word? Perfect it, I guess, or the Romans take over and they uh, make it the excruciating torture it became during the life of Christ. Surah nine, the Jews believe that Ezra was the son of God. Okay? Incorrect. The Jews never called him the son of God. Well, uh, there's some factual errors we find in the Quran. Surah 18. Travel west to find the setting place of the sun in a muddy spring. Okay? So this the sun, you know, is about the size of a basketball, maybe a little bit bigger. Okay? Solomon uh, talks to the ants. Okay? You know that ants don't talk. Okay? They don't communicate that way. Sperm comes from a man's chest. Okay? Surah 86. Human beings are formed from a clot of blood. Surah 23. And then within the Quran itself, there are some contradictions in the Quran. Uh, surah 7 says that the world was created in 6 days. But you go to Surah 41, and says the world was created in 8 days. Surah 11 says that Noah's sons refused to enter the ark and drown. In 21, it states that they were saved. Surah 10, God cannot change His word. But then in Surah chapter 2, introduces the law of abrogation, that the law of Allah can be superseded by later revelations or changed. So He just point this out to them in a and kind way and just say, we have what appears to be error here. And this is supposed to be the perfect book that came down from heaven. What do you think about that? Okay, and you have them uh, go home and ask their imam and uh, their scholars and, and uh, have them study it. You know the Quran and the Bible. Okay, you got to be able to point out the two are not the same. Okay, one of the things Muhammad said is you will find that our teachings, the teaching of this book, is consistent with the Bible. Well, the Quran rejects the deity of Christ, okay, which is something the Bible clearly teaches, Old and New Testament. Rejects the death of Christ on the cross. Rejects the resurrection of Christ. And there's stories that contradict the Bible. That Noah's sons died in the flood. That the ark landed on Mount Judith, not Arat. Mary gave birth to Jesus under a palm tree. And as you read the Quran, you, you can find uh, uh, several more. I'm going to open it up for uh, a Q&A time. Yes, sir. I appreciated the examples that you gave about the apparent things that were contradictory
0: in the Quran. And... You know, I haven't read it all, but I, I'll take that. I'll take your word for it. However, taking the Muslim side, uh, they could point in the Bible to things that would be apparent contradictions. That we would say, upon further study, you can see how
1: this fits together, right? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, aren't they likely to say the same thing about our points about the Quran? Right, and that's where you know you've got to say, well, could you come back and, and give me an answer to that? Most of the time, what you'll get is an angry response from them don't touch the quran don't criticize the quran another one i hear often you don't know arabic you know so therefore you can't interpret the quran you can't translate the your your translations invalid anyway and so those are the responses most of the time that you're going to get so sometimes you've got to be patient and perseverant in the bible we interpret it according to the rules of interpretation or the rules of hermeneutics you know we look at terms structure and literary form. I mean, if it's poetry, they're using symbols and allegories and such. We know, okay, we can identify that from term structure, literary form.
0: We want to thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccarin on this timely topic and remind you that you can get this entire series at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find some of the best resources on presenting and defending your faith in Christ to an increasingly skeptical world at evidenceandanswers.org. World religions, atheism, the cults, the occult, Apologetics, scientific and philosophical arguments for the existence of God, creation and evolution, the reliability of the Bible, archeology span and history, and the end times, to name but just a few. You'll find Pat Zuckerman's interviews with leading scholars and speakers on the most crucial issues facing the church and the world. Go to evidenceandanswers.org and be equipped. And right now, there's a free offer from Evidence and Answers, Pat's Teaching on the Da Vinci Code Deception. The Da Vinci Code book and movie will continue to impact the world for some time. And you can expect sequels and spin-offs to continue to influence people to doubt the claims of Jesus Christ. So get Pat's Teaching on this important subject for free. It's yours for the asking. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and click on Contact Pat. Evidence and Answers is supported by you, the listener, who appreciates a program that gives good answers to good questions. Our calling is to do what the Apostle Paul did on Mars Hill in Athens. He presented and defended the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we'll help you do the same by the grace of God. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and any gift or purchase of resources will be a tremendous encouragement to us. And remember that this entire series is available at evidenceandanswers.org. This has been Kevin Harris. Thank you so much for listening to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccarin. Don't forget about the free offer we have, Pat's teaching in front of a live audience on The Da Vinci Code Deception. Go there now. God bless and thanks so much for listening. Evidence and Answers.